Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag #FashionCulture. You know, we often say, this person needs no introduction. But in the case of Christian Louboutin, he really does need no introduction. This is the man who makes the most seductive, beautiful red sole shoes that we all love so much. So I'm going to start with a question. How did and when did you first realize that shoes were important to you, that you maybe wanted to do shoe design? Um, I was pretty young, I would say. Well, that's different. I started to draw shoes when I was around 12. Okay. 12, 13, 14, etc. But at that time, it was a bit of a, almost like a nervous tick, I would say, something like that. I liked it. I re reproducing always shoes in profile, but I never thought that it was actually a job, right. a work. Right. And so I just liked to draw shoes. And, but I never connected. It took me a long time to connect that actually what I was doing was probably a work. Right. And, um, but voila, so to answer to your question, I started to design shoes, but just thinking I like to draw shoes when I was 12, 13. And at what point then in your trajectory did you start to think, maybe I can learn how to do this as a career? So what exactly happened is that I had seen I had seen, I used to go to, so I was born and raised in Paris, and I used to go to this museum, which is called the Musée, which used to be called the Museum of African and o Oceanic Arts, yes. that you know we were discussing yes. before. And uh, so at the entry of the museum, there was um, a sketch, mm -hmm. a bit like that, I mean, not like this one, yeah. but a sketch, and it was crossed like that in red. Yes. And so it was, I couldn't understand that it was like a, a shoe, of women, but it was a spiky type of stiletto, mm. so basically a pump from the 50s. Yes. But it was just a signalitic, and it was basically saying it's forbidden to high heels, and the reason ah, is yes, because the museum had beautiful floors, mosaic floors, and then precious wood floors, which still has. Yeah. And so in the 50s, that type of shoe was having a tip in metal and thin heel in metal, so it would break the floors. Yeah. So it had been in the 50s forbidden yes. to wear that type of shoe. I remember seeing that kind of sign so, around. But being born in the mid-60s, I had no idea even about that shoe, I mean, that type of shoe. So I was looking at that drawing and thinking, it's funny, it's a women's shoe, but it's not existing. And on the top of that, it's forbidden, God knows why. But it's basically really that first drawing which made me understand that most things are drawn first and everything you see at one point has been drawn. Mm -hmm. So it could have been forbidden to, I don't know, cars, and yes. I may have designed yes. cars. So the first thing was really to reproduce that drawing and I was really questioning myself about that drawing, but it made me understand that literally everything starts by a sketch and any environment if you look around you everything has been thought mm -hmm. by someone has been designed and has been processed yes. and so that's what exactly happened to me I started to do that shoe reproduce that shoe doing different 
in the shoe, but mm. it was always in profile with a heel and I was changing the style a bit, the colors, etc. but it was very much that. And so that was, when I was doing that, I was really not thinking more than, you know, I was bored in school, mm. to be perfectly honest. So I like to draw my yeah. shoes, to do the different colors, etc. and to stop to be bored. So because of that drawing and because of all my drawings that I was doing, at school, I started to be like considered a bit like a cuckoo type mm -hmm. of child, <laughs> and always doing like those sketches. And because of that, I started to have a lot of some of people from the school would give me information about school. So I'd very quickly, I ended up being an expert in shoes, not even being so obsessed by yeah. that. I was obsessed by drawing, not obsessed by shoes really ah, yeah. at the very beginning. But then when I got all this information about shoes, I started to really love shoes even more and more. And one day, someone, I don't remember who actually, I should thank the person, but I don't remember who it was. Someone gave me a book and said, you know, you who like shoes, I have this for you. I brought this back from Bordeaux. And the book was a gold cover and it was written, Roger Vivier was the name, of an exhibition of this person that I yes. had never heard of called Roger Vivier and it was a retrospective of his work in Bordeaux, which is south of France. Yeah. And I looked and suddenly I thought, oh my God, it's actually great to do shoes and you can definitely go all the way yeah. and finish them and it's a beautiful job. So it's because also of that book that I thought, okay, I've been drawing, yeah. uh, thinking I could do better, and it exists, and it actually, it could be a job. So from lying at school, I have to tell you one other thing. When you're a kid, people, uh, adult, you know, grown up, are always asking, ah, so when you're older, when you want, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> and Sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's pretty traumatizing yeah. for kids because you're like, okay, I don't know what I want to do later. I just want to have fun right, right. now. So why do I have to think <laughs> of all these things? And so my best friend from school was absolutely traumatized because she just didn't know what she wanted to do. And she was like, what can I say? I said, just say you want to be a, you know, a pilot. She said, are you crazy? A pilot? Why a pilot? I said, I don't know. You know, in the plane, <laughs> it's very nice. She said, no, I say veterinaire, you know, doctor yes. for animals. She said, I hate animals. <laughs> I said, I don't know, say something. And she says, but I, but I realized that it was complicated for some people. Yeah. And me, I was actually lying because when people were asking me that, I was always saying, I want to do shoes. So people are like, okay. I'm thinking, okay, poor, poor one. <laughs> and, uh, but so this sort of almost lie started to become a reality thanks to that book. So thanks to this person, I would say, mm -hmm. this, the work of that person. And then so when I turned probably 16 to 17, I was really dedicated to design shoes. But my dedication to shoes while going in a very specific direction, I wanted to design shoes for showgirls. Yes. So it was, I not, had nothing to see with fashion. My really first focus was designing things, uh, shoes, for girls in music halls. And you got to know some of these women and saw what kind of shoes they wore. And there's, you told me once some funny story about the kind of things they would put in the shoes to make them more comfortable. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've been sort of 
So I told my first job, I would say, was uh, I was 17 and I started to work for uh, Les Folies Bergères. So I was an intern for less than a year at the Folies Bergères. And so I've never designed shoes at the Folies Bergères because it's a complicated thing to yeah. do shoes. You know, it's the process is long, it's very expensive, etc. You have a lot of elements that you can add. It's, let's say if you want to do a dress with very little, you can do a dress. If you really want to do a shoe which works, which is not dangerous, yeah, ta, 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 you have to have a lot of elements which are very costly. Yeah. So for this reason, I didn't do any shoes for, um, for the Folie Berger, but I've learned a lot about shoes, mm. about the balance, the importance of the balance, the arch, the reinforcement, a lot of technical things, yeah. thanks to these girls, because for a show girl, First, the musical in Paris, so I was at the Folie Berger, so you have this huge stair, st uh, staircase. Stair, yeah, coming down the staircase. Going down. And we have a very important expression in French. Any French person, if you say that, would tell you the name of the person who said it. And so in French, it's lèche bien descendu, which means, did I go down correctly? Mm -hmm. So it's in reference to stairs. Yeah. So basically, a very important element for showgirls and their training every day is to go down the stairs. Yeah. Because in real life, if you go down the stairs, you look at your feet and you, yeah. look, you look at the stairs and you look what, where you put right. your feet. In the dream world of the Folie Berge, of music hall, you look in front of you, you smile, and you don't see your feet. Yes. So you basically learn to bang your f the back of your foot to see exactly where is the arch of the stair. And so for a, a showgirl to be able to go down the stairs properly is really an achievement. Yes. So I don't remember what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's well, one of the ways in which you learned about how you can ah, move in shoes. So all these things, so all this to say that um, showgirls have been really a very important experience for me for my work because they know what they're talking about when they're talking about shoes. When they're talking about men too, they know. But let's <laughs> say to go back to shoes, they know what they're talking about when they're talking shoes. And, and underneath the, the ball of the foot, that, there's a lot of pressure if, if you're wearing high heels and performing mm -hmm. on stage. So what did they use to cushion that? Okay, she wants to... I'm trying to... I think it's she it's she so wants to put me in the direction of something I've been telling her. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a cool story. So... As an intern, I was doing everything, apart from designing shoes, which I never did at the time. I was doing everything. And so helping people, etc. And I was sent also to, to buy the food, the drinks, the things, ta, ta, ta. And so I would buy a huge amount of Ville Carpaccio. And so every day I had to buy Ville Carpaccio, and they were always making jokes, saying, it needs to be cashier, it needs to be cashier, which means with no blood, mm -hmm. etc. And, um, so, okay, okay, yeah, 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 cashier, cashier, vide <laughs> carpaccio, cashier. And um, so one day, one day I say, why does everybody eat vide carpaccio all the time here? It's <laughs> such a weird thing. And they say, you're so stupid, we're not eating them. <laughs> I say, what do you mean by that? I say, it's to put in the shoes. And so basically, um, the veal carpaccio is making a caution. That's why it needed to be cashier yes. with no blood, of course. So what they were doing, they were cutting a piece of the veal carpaccio and putting it in that part. 
in that part here. Mm -hmm. So when the pressure of the weight of the person goes on that low part, there was a type of natural caution. Yeah. But of course it had to be replaced every day because it was not the, it was healthy, I guess, but it was not, <laughs> <laughs> the smell was a bit so-so. Well, it was not a high-tech method of cushioning. Exactly. <laughs> now, so when and how did you start your own label? Um, I, st uh, I started in at the end, very end of 1991. And I started, so I have been working for different people. Yes. I mean, I worked for the Folie Berger, but that was like a few months. And then after, I started to work for different companies, one being Charles Jourdan when I was mm -hmm. 18 for a year, so I had to move to the south of France. And then I worked for different companies in Italy most of the time, and for French companies. I worked also for, je sais pas quoi, Maud Frison, Sylvain Verizzi, Chanel, Saint Laurent, etc. Armani, Lere, Lario, of many, many, many companies. And, um, and then what happened? Why was I fed up about that? I don't remember exactly what happened. Uh, ah, yes, exactly. And then in 1988, uh, Roger Vivier, who was alive at the yes. time, so Monsieur Roger Vivier, not, the, not the brand, right. the man, uh, Roger asked me to. Uh, to be his assistant for the exhibition that he had uh, at the Musée des Arts, uh, des Arts de la Mode in Paris. Yes. And it was his retrospective, and he was 80 years old. So I was very, very happy and very thrilled because he was a man why I had really yes. wanted to design shoes. So I said, yes, 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 yes. And I worked for a year and had the best fun. He was a charming, so charming, charming, charming wasn't he man. really charming? Yeah adorable person and extremely talented and so sweet. Anyway, so I worked with him and then when the exhibition stopped, I just thought, I can't work for anybody now. I'm not going to find someone so inspiring and working for him, I never, again, I never designed any shoes. I didn't design shoes for Folie Berger. I didn't design shoes for Roger Vivier. I just was his assistant. Yes. So secretary, etc., doing everything, but not designing. It was really about his work. But for me, being early 20s, looking at someone and looking at uh, the work of that person was so, so fantastic. I was perfectly happy like that. So anyway, when the exhibition stopped, I just couldn't imagine myself working for anybody else. So I stopped. So that was nine, uh, 1989. And then I started to do uh, landscaping because I always, not always, but let's say a little bit after my 16 or 17, I was interested in garden. And so I started to do landscaping, so a landscape architect. And, uh, but for some reason, uh, it's a fantastic work, and, but you have to be patient. Yeah. You know, you, you, you put something this, and this is a tree, and you know, before it goes to that ceiling, it's going to take you 20 years. Right. And so when you're 25 or something, you, you're like, that, please <laughs> grow, 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 grow. <laughs> what is happening to you? So I was too impatient to enjoy it completely. And so I was missing actually my really, my, my heart, which was really designing shoes. And, um, but I just didn't want to work for anybody. 
And so totally by accident, what happened is that I was, I always loved objects, so I was collecting objects. And so I was going into that gallery where there was this antique dealer doing specialty of Swedish 1910-1920 furniture called mm -hmm. Eric Philippe. And I was trying to buy a lamp of Arbus, which is later, French designer, and he wouldn't sell it to me. So I had to go back and forth, back and forth to try to buy that lamp. So he was so fed up to have me there. So one day he says, what about your shoes? I say, I didn't, you know, I stopped. And he says, why? So I explained him and he says, but why don't you start your own thing? I said, well, yeah, I mean, not completely excited because I probably I was afraid. Mm. And um, I was afraid, I guess. And, um, but he did everything to get rid of me. So he said, you know, <laughs> at, the end of the, at the end of the gallery, there is a photo gallery. They sell it. Why don't you do a shop? And um, I thought, yeah, that's not such a bad idea. And then do two or three days after, I was having dinner with my two best friends. And I s spoke about that anecdote. And they say, yeah, let's do it together. So the three of us started the company, but I started the company with one shop. And to me, so as you are student, from what I understand, it's, uh, that's an important thing for me, which I would have never started to show my work, let's say through um, in a suitcase and open it, mm -hmm. and then people say, I like, I don't like this, that, etc. To me, it was important to start with the shoe, but also the box, in yeah. a way. You know, I always love fronts and jewelry, and I always find quite fascinating when you, for instance, if you offer a jewelry, the moment where you open the yeah. box. There is this type of unveiling, yes. which I always loved. And so to me, the box of the shoe being the store yeah. speaks also of your work. So it's easier in a way to show the environment where you're showing what you do is actually having an impact, ha is yes, having an impact absolutely. always. So to me, it was important to, to have this impactful thing. I was showing with ha having a shop immediately. I started the company with the shop. I didn't even have a fax, nothing. I didn't know how it was working yeah. really, but I had the shop. And, well, and I had a type of cash machine, which was not working very well, but I started like that. And, um, but I could see that people were looking at the shoes, the first clients, etc. but they also were looking at the environment of mm -hmm. the shoe, the shop. I had designed the shoe. Well, actually, the picture of, which was there at one point, yeah. I had painted the shop, I had designed the shop myself, etc. So I knew exactly what I wanted, and it was making part of my yes. work. So this environment where totally making part of my work. And, and I remember, for instance, the first buyers who came, they were not coming to see a collection. They were coming to see a world, a yes. very little world, yeah. but a world already. And um, it totally makes a difference because it's, you already have a larger part of your identity which is shown to clients, but also to buyers. Yes. So they like it, great. They don't like it, whatever, you mm. know? You already have your identity, you've been working about that, and people do understand, and in general, respect that. 
So the first buyer who came, they were like, okay, if we don't buy, we don't buy, but the guy is existing already. So it makes you, it puts you in a very, very different um, perspective. Yeah, um, a different perspective, perspective on it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And how did your work evolve over time? And at what point and under what circumstances did you suddenly think of the red soul? So it's two questions. Two questions, yes. Okay, so what is the question? The first one, how did your work <laughs> evolve over time? You started, you had your little shop and you started creating and presenting it. So how did it evolve? Uh, did they did you it? have a silhouette which was sort of your look, your ah, high heels yeah, that yeah, you sort yeah, of tended yeah. to stay so with? I would, I, I would say that, um, I would say that if I sort of look, in a way, um, to, let's say those decades, I started by very, very dressy shoes, mm -hmm. very, very dressy shoes, and I went to very, very bare shoes, very nude shoes, in yes. a way. And so I would say that I started to, do, to, to dress the foot, and I, and I went in the direction of undressing, undressing the yes. foot. So yes. that's being, I would say, is a big difference. Fascinating. I think it's a big evolution. Yes, yeah, that's fascinating. And at what point, under what circumstances, did you suddenly have this red soul idea? So I started in 91, the end of 91. And so I sketch everything. And um, so I never did, I never learned at school like let's say fashion or fashion design or things like that. So um, I guess that in, because of that, I never had a type of strict way of designing. Yes. So, you know, I never had a billboard or mood board or whatever and thinking, okay, the collection needs to be, it's about this, it's about that, it's ta -ta 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 -ta. I never was really that structured. I mean, I am not structured. And uh, so, what I was doing is sketching, and sometimes I was having things in mind uh, that I started, you know, I had, I was influenced by things and I started to sketch. So what happened with the Red Soul is that I had in mind, actually, an American artist, but a larger scope of it, which was pop art in general. Yeah. So pop art, and because of pop art, there was also uh, Andy Warhol. I was thinking of Andy Warhol. So. I, w I started to draw shoes, and the shoes were really in pop colors and only pop colors. Yeah. And I was doing the same shoe with on sketching it with repetition of different colors, mm. a bit like you know the serigraphy yes. of Andy Warhol, etc. And um, but what I do when I sketch, um, when I sketch, I, so I was thinking of Andy Warhol. I have a very specific painting in mind, which is called I think flowers. Okay. And but when I sketch. I can be influenced by things, but I never have documents next to me. So when I was sketching, thinking of Andy Warhol, pop arts, flowers, etc., I did a shoe, which is the sketch which was there, called Pensée. Yes. And so I, I called the shoe Pensée, and to me it was exactly... Pensée, uh, it, it was in shoe. reference to the, the color palette of Andy Warhol, the pop art in general, and also a flower. Yeah. So I reproduce, I draw that, sh I draw the shoe and when the shoe arrived and when I did the fittings etc I was happy of the shoe existing then I looked at the painting. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that 
uh, I was really having in mind, uh, so Warhol, ta, 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 what I just said. So I drew that shoe, which, which is a Mary Jane, pointy Mary Jane, with a so Mary Jane, mm -hmm. so the bride, yeah, with the, English, the, 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 strap, the strap, the big strap and the flower. And the flower has three petals and it's outlined in a different color. And the bouton, the middle, mm -hmm. is out, it's the same color of the outline. Yeah. So in my drawing, it was exactly like that. And it was full of colors. And um, so when I tried the shoe on, it looked good, actually. It looked good. It was, I mean, the fitting was mm -hmm. good. So I was happy. But I had the drawing and then I had the, sh the real shoe. And looking at back and forth, there was something more mm. powerful in the drawing, I would say. And um, I thought, but what is it? And I couldn't really figure it out. Till the moment where I took the shoe. So all the shoes were really with a lot of colors. Yeah. And so I turned the shoe to so profile this shoe. So profile, it looked like my drawing, and I was happy. Front, it looked like my drawing, I was happy. But from the back, you just had the heel and then a sole, and the sole was black. And then suddenly, there was a lot of black, and there was no black in my drawing. Yeah. I thought, if there was a way to erase this, I would see if I would be happy. And so Sarah, the girl who was trying on the shoes, had finished, to, we had finished the fitting. So she, had, uh, she was painting her nails with a nail polish. And so I, I said, Can give me your nail polish, I want to try something. And I remember she had like two nails done. She was like, okay, let me wait, uh, let me finish. I said, please, you know, give me your nail polish. So we, we had a bit of a fight. I'd got the nail polish. But then, ah, I can't find it again, look, what do I do? We were in the, you know, in the countryside, right. in the factory in Italy. And, um, and then I polished very quickly the sole. And then suddenly it was exactly like my drawing. So I thought, okay, you know, it pops up the same way. And I always try to be as possible um, close from my primary drawing. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that looks very nice. That way, that's exactly like my drawing. So I'm going to keep it like that. Then as it was a winter season, I thought, okay, it, I'm going to do the sold in colors. As it's winter, it should be green, Christmas. and. Um, and then I thought, for some reason, red looks better. Mm. And also, um, yeah, red looks better. But also, in the early 90s, um, most women in France were dressed in black. Yes. And you could always hear, so I was in the shop selling, I, I could always hear, I only wear black. I don't do colors, I hate colors, <laughs> or, or I don't like colors, depending on the character. But I don't do colors, da da da. And uh, so I was quite it was quite interrogative for me to see the, the relationship with colors. And so I remember going to that woman say, saying, you say you don't like colors, but you have red. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, but it's different. Mm -hmm. It's red. I said, red is a color. She said, yes, but it's different. Red <laughs> is, is a color, but it's not a color. You see, we have red, right? But, yeah. well, so I thought really if people, even for people who don't like color, red is another mm. type of category in yes. a way. Yes. So I thought if it has to be a color, it should definitely be red. And then I really liked red with everything. So I started with that color thinking I may change color. 
but then it became really a sign of recognition of yes. my brand, and then it became a trademark yeah. on that photo because it's, it's no longer in my hands anymore. But I don't regret it. No, no, it's so fabulous. <laughs> well, I mean, in the whole history of color, actually, the three colors that were first used by Neanderthals were red, black, and white. Centuries, millennia before blue or green or any other colors came in. Yeah, red's a special color. Wait. It is a special color. And, but there is also this other thing. It's, it was very interesting. So for the first two years, I was selling in my first store in Paris. And uh, it was always very interesting to see the relationship with nudity mm -hmm. um, that women have with shoes. So for instance, I always love very, very low cleavage. Yes. Décolleté, so yes. the décolleté of the shoe, which is a technical word. Toe cleavage. Toe cleavage, so you see a little bit of these parts. The cracks, yeah. The cracks. And um, so early 90s, for some reason, a lot of people didn't like that. And would tell me, would tell me, there is something, there is something I feel almost naked. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the person would, that, yeah. and then the person would buy a sandal, and I say, "Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> what is the difference? You have all the feet sticking out. Don't you feel more naked?" And people would always say no. Right. And so it has to see with suggestion. Yes. If you are showing a little bit, there is something. The suggestion is literally more powerful than showing everything. So it's often the case, you know, it's almost a difference between erotism, which is a suggestion, and pornography. So I think that there is the same type of relationship. You show less, you suggest more. You show everything, people get bored. It's true. A lot of, of experts in sexuality, from Casanova to Freud, have talked about the attraction of concealment, mm -hmm. that a completely naked foot or a foot in flip-flop it's just naked, but if you're just showing a little bit, the toe cleavage or the back of the heel, it becomes more like a striptease, more like a exactly. play you of know, seeing it, a little bit. It helps, uh, it, it provokes, um, it provokes and it pushes the imagination of people looking at it. So it's, it's a power of suggestion. Now, we have some questions here, and we only have a few more minutes, but let's see. Um, what advice would you give a young shoe designer? To a young shoe designer? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would, I would probably say that what advice should I give to a young shoe designer? Um, to, to really, I mean, I, I think that, but it's, it's not only about shoes, it's in general, is really you have to, you have to work. You know what, what I started to say? Um, everybody's influenced. Everybody has influences. You go to a movie, you go to a theater, you go to a play, you go to, uh, to see an exhibition, ta, 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 you are going to be influenced. The, the music, the thing, ta, ta, ta. And uh, the only way to show who you are is actually uh, a lot of people are going to have the same influence, are going to see the same show, are going to see Beyonce shaking, etc. And so all of this is becoming a popular culture, a different culture, ta, 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 ta. 
but the way to show who you are, which is important if you do fashion, if you create things, is to express yourself and to show who you are, yeah. what you like, what you are about. I would say to, for instance, not have documents. I started to speak about that. Yeah. Let's say, you see, for instance, when I was thinking of, of that, that flower shoe, pensée, I drew it, and then when I looked at the painting, the flower, my drawing has three petals, yeah. and it's outlined in the different colors. When I looked at the real painting of Andy Warhol, the petals are four, yeah. there is no outline, yeah. it's completely, it has nothing in common. But still, I was fully inspired by yeah. it, and thinking to respect it, but the fact to not to have any document, it obliges you to think your way, yeah. and it goes and through your own filter of your own memory, you are going to retranscribe something your way. Yeah. If you have the document, and you look at the document, you are going to reproduce something which is not yours and which hasn't didn't have the time to go through your memory, mm. through through who you are, what you like, etc. So you are going to basically do what I would call a copy. Yeah. And everybody will come out literally with the same thing. Why? It's because it hasn't penetrated yourself and coming back out with your hands with something else which is talking about you. So I would say that probably, uh, yeah, that's what I would say as a... That's, I've never heard anyone say that. Advice. That's a very, very cool description of you the creative can, process. You can, you can be influenced by anything. It's totally legitimate. But don't systematically have a document and which is you know inspirational document. You should print it in your memory and then come out with what you remember because that's going to be the essence of what you've been seeing in that inspiration object, song, whatever you're thinking. Fascinating. That is a very unique and important piece of advice. You think it's a good advice? I think it's really, really interesting. It's <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that. That is so cool. Time for another couple. This feeds into the other one. What interests you right now, and how is it feeding into your work? Are there any certain things? I mean, like we were talking before, you travel a lot. Is that something that feeds into your work, or is there something else that does? Well, everything is interesting in a way. Yeah. Everything is interesting. But I would say that there is one thing, uh, when I'm very, very sensitive, uh, always was, but more, more it goes, more I, uh, more I keep it in an important way, is um, artisanship. Yes. Artisanship, and the reason is that I've always traveled, always loved objects, always brought objects, and uh, a lot of objects that I've been collecting for years that I haven't seen for years have been staying in my memory and has been retranscribed. But that was a way that I've been quite inspired for a long time. Now I would add that uh, it's important. I, uh, the world has changed and a lot of things get lost. And uh, if you see, I have nothing against globalization. I mean, it is what it is, so it's not, you know, it's not to this, that's, that's not what I want to discuss. But in a way, um, it is, uh, it is important to keep some element of different cultures, some and uh, the, the privilege of 
traveling and seeing different cultures, different architectures, different way of living, diff whatever, you know, uh, there is so much diversity and that a lot of things get lost and that makes me very sad. Yeah. Um, a lot of technique, a lot of like weaving techniques, yeah. you know, the ECAT, the way it was done, it doesn't yeah. exist anymore in some countries, etc. A lot of technical, artisanal things which are providing uh, terracotta, providing jewelry, beautiful artisanship is disappearing. And so I'm very sensitive to that, uh, to that topic and I actually, um, object is an inspirational thing but also to, to work also with artisans. Yes. Because let's say I, um, after 28 years now, I have the, in a way the privilege to be able to do things, to do shoes which are going to be done by thousands and thousands and thousands of yeah. pairs. And some shoes which are going to request a very specific type of technique and there will be few pairs, but I can still mix that through stores, through events, etc. I can still I can have a part of my work which is really I wouldn't say industrial, but a bigger volume yeah. and, a, uh, and a part of my work which is smaller volume. But it permits us to work with people who would lose that those qualities, yeah. and this quality needs to be, you know, given back to yeah. different generation, etc. But also, even for me, it's almost like a laboratory. Sometimes you're doing something that you cannot reproduce. I do something that I cannot, that I cannot reproduce more than two, three, four pairs or whatever. Yeah. I'm still very happy of that. Yeah. I would do that instead of thinking, okay, I can do a thousand pairs, so let's forget about it. And I would never also reproduce, let's say, if I've been working with artisans doing really beautiful carving, I'm not going to say, okay, you know, do me one carving and then I will cut it and do it and then I will do laser it and give it to a bigger industry. Yeah. I definitely don't do that. I will be inspired by that thing, but I would do something else. So it's a laboratory artisanship also, people who know how to do things with their hands, etc. It's, it's an important thing, but also yeah. it's, uh, to me, it's a laboratory which permises me to drift again and to also go to a second part or to another part of my collections. Yeah, that's very beautiful. Thank you very much. Welcome. Please, please join me in thanking Christian. <laughs> that was really lovely.